The energy transition is a long and winding road, and it needs to be taken step by step. Learn more at SiemensEnergy.com. This is Barron's Live. Each weekday, we bring you live conversations from our newsrooms about what's moving the market right now. On this podcast, we take you inside those conversations, the stories, the ideas, and the stocks to watch so you can invest smarter. Now, let's dial in. Welcome to Barrent Live Market Watch Edition. My name is Arti Swaminathan. I am your host. I am a housing reporter for Market Watch. And on today's episode, we're joined by John Lavallo, who is an analyst at UBS who covers home builders. So, John, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me, Artie. I appreciate it. So I'm going to start with a big, broad opening question, and it's about the housing downturn, right? So a lot of people are worried about a recession hitting the U.S. economy, and obviously that has implications for the jobs, their wages, the debts they hold. But if you look at housing, that sector is already in a bit of a slump, and we're seeing some of that bad, the weaker sales numbers, you know, that kind of data feed into the broader um, GDP figure, gross domestic product. So my question to you is, is housing going to drag the U.S. economy down? What is your sense? Okay, that's a, that's a, that's a good one to start with. Well, you know, look, it's, it's an important question because if you think about it, um, housing combined contributes, you know, called 15% to, to GDP. And the residential investment component alone, you know, which includes construction of, of new single-family homes, multifamily homes, residential remodeling and so forth is about 5%. So these are significant contributors to GDP. Um, I think, look, I think today as a starting point is, is very different than what we saw from 2005 to 2008 in terms of supply. So if we think about the supply in the market today, existing homes, which constitute 90% of the market, the supply right now is 3.2 months. Now, if we go back to in the global financial crisis, it was 10.4 months. Um, so much, much less supply, and in fact, lower supply than we would normally have on a historical basis, excluding the global financial crisis. Um, there's also a lot less risk, if you think about it, from a mortgage standpoint. Today, about 10% of, of um, loans are variable rate. Back in the global financial crisis, that was closer to 35%. And if you think about it, the lax lending standards, I guess, for lack of a better word, led to really a high percentage of foreclosures, and that added even more inventory to the market um, you know, during the global financial crisis. So you know, we also would say that like, the bear case out there is, is that home prices are going to fall dramatically. We don't really subscribe to that. In fact, the only meaningful decline nationally, at least, in home prices was during the global financial crisis when uh, they were down about 30%. And I mentioned the fact that there's very little inventory in the market, so that's that's part of it. We also did a recent uh, analysis with one of our data teams here internally, and you know what we found is that the biggest driver of home prices since COVID has been working from home. And to the extent that working from home stays, you know, a reality, which you know there's very little evidence in my mind that that's going to completely reverse. I think that home prices will remain, you know, relatively stable. I mean, could we see a slight decline? Sure. Um, but on a national basis, I think we remain, you know, much, much better off than, so call it the 15 to 20% declines that, that the bears are, are, are forecasting. So long and short of it is, is, is I don't expect a significant housing-focused downturn. 
Mm -mm. It's interesting. And we'll, we'll come back to that point on home prices. But, uh, you know, today we saw mortgage applications fall for what, the sixth week in a row? Today's November 2nd. And purchase applications, people buying a home, that's at the lowest level since 2014. And then you have the 30-year mortgage above 7%. That's like compared to a year ago, it's double, right? And so what is the sentiment like? I mean, people are I don't know, like I'm a renter. I'm not going to buy a house, right? So what are the, you cover builders. What are the builders saying? I mean, if 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 inventory is sold, well, something has to give, right? So help us understand um, what's happening right now. Sure. Yeah, I mean, maybe to start with the mortgage apps and then we can, we can go down to, you know, think about what the builders are saying. <clears throat> to your point, mortgage apps have been running down close to 40% year over year. So people are clearly in, sort of a wait and see or pause mode. Um, and if you think about it, mortgage rates have more than doubled, to, you know, from January, they're at about a little over 7% today. And, you know, what we found interesting though, is in August, when there was about a 50 basis point drop in, uh, in mortgage rates, new home sales actually reacted very favorably. So they jumped to 677,000 units. That's up from 543,000 in July. So pretty significant. And, and what that, tells us is that demand is out there, right? We just need to see some rate stabilization. Um, the 10-year treasury yield is literally moving 10 to 20 basis points per day, which is, which is bonkers. Um, and if you think about the spread between the 10-year uh, and the 30-year fixed rate mortgage, it's about 300 basis points today versus a historical average of closer to 150. So the spread is blown out. And I think part of that is banks are building in a cushion given uh, you know, the interest rate volatility. So our view is that once we get some stabilization in rates and have a better idea of what the Fed is, you know, and in, in final intentions will be, I think the spread will normalize between the 10-year and the 30-year, and that should that should give a little bit of relief. Um, and then, you know, to your point on what are the, the, the builders saying and, you know, how, how, how is confidence out there, um, it's bad, right? Uh, the National Association of Home Builders, their Builder Confidence Index, I think the last reading was about 38, if I remember correctly, and that's down from she's low, you know, low 80s in January. Um, and just for the, for the folks out there, a reading under 50 basically means that builders are saying conditions are more, or more builders are saying conditions are poor than they are good. Um, but I think it's important to keep in mind that 60% of home builders are small private builders with you know little access to capital. Um, tough time getting labor, tough time getting supplies, particularly in the labor constraint and supply chain challenge world that, that we're living in. Um, but either way, I mean, confidence is, is low. And, and that's been driven by this, you know, the spike in rates, uh, the demand moderation and, and you know, continued constraints on supply and so forth. Um, so, you know, there's no way of getting around that sales have definitively slowed um, maybe they, though, maybe they may have bottomed in July at 543,000. Uh, I mentioned the step up to 677,000 that we saw in the September was 603,000, which are actually good prints. Um, so we'll see. It's, it's sort of TBD. <laughs> it's interesting because that builder confidence index, that's the 10th month in a row that it has fallen, right? So, but, you know, just zooming out a bit, you know, Freddie Mac, I think last year said that, the country was short of some like what four million homes, three point eight million. So we're clearly not building enough. There is demand for it. We talked about inventory. Like, 
it just help us understand like why is it so difficult to just build homes um what am i missing here is it something to do with zoning is it something why why can't the country just build all these homes to meet all this demand such a simplistic question but i know the answer is going to be interesting <laughs> yeah no it's 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 actually um a very important topic and i think it it dates back you know to the global financial crisis and, and in fact coming out of the crisis i would argue that housing lost some of its luster uh and and frankly personal balance sheets were were so impaired that many folks didn't qualify for for loans um and i think this was most prevalent for sort of the first time home buyers um so essentially fewer homes were built over the past 14 years and and the ones that were built were built at higher price points because you know economically that's where the demand was um the other important point here though other than you know these the sort of the, where the demand was is that the home building industry is still building homes today the same way they did 100 years ago mm-hmm. so they're stick framing yeah they're stick framing homes on site you know, lumber being tossed around um it's probably the only industry that has not seen technology infused um you know over the past 100 years so i think that you know you couple that with labor constraints um to your point delays in sort of the land entitlement and development process um and i think that you know what has to happen is there has to be some kind of change that's brought to this industry now, i don't know if that's if the solution is offsite construction uh is you know is it 3d printing who 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 knows at this point but over the i would argue that 10 years from now we're going to be building homes very differently than we than we're doing today um so i think that there's a lot to come and there's a lot of exciting um opportunities ahead for for this industry that is so crazy like if we have not changed the way we build homes you know why are we lagging innovation in that space but one area that i've seen builders get a little bit more creative is given how bad sales are given how cancellations are rising they're getting pre- pretty creative with rates right i'm seeing more and more you know rate buy downs and i think it's called a 2-1 rate buy down where your percentage point is low in the beginning then goes up or something so but are these incentives working are these solutions bringing buyers through the door i mean what are people saying yeah um i mean maybe as a baseline just to give you an idea of of sort of what's going on i mean builders have clearly reported steep declines in orders uh net orders and you know what we've seen is you know as a percentage of gross orders cancellations have spiked so uh, you know i think kb home reported something like a 35% cancellation rate that's up from you know call it 9 or 10% a year ago lenar was somewhere around 20 uh, versus i don't know you know low teens about a year ago um marriage homes was at about 30 uh 30% cancellation rate and that's you know versus sort of mid teens so the cancellation rates have gone up and so what the builders have had to do is to your point get creative and get creative with incentives and so there's rate locks there's rate buy downs there's um you know product upgrades so maybe an upgrade to the the kitchen appliances um they're offering you know maybe better lot positions than than um a buyer would have normally chosen um and typically they're they're kind of pushing off base price cuts using that as sort of a, a last resort although base price cuts are 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 certainly happening um so the big question is you know is is it working right and i i would say that we're starting to see some demand elasticity which is which is encouraging i think that you know there is a 
tremendous amount of underlying demand for housing that's still out there. Uh, and I believe that if we can get to the you know to the right price point where where the math pencils for people, they're going to be buyers. Um, so that's why I think that you know eventually the spread tightening between the 10-year and the 30-year is going to go a long way towards helping um, helping people on the affordability front. Mm-mm-mm-mm. And this is a gentle reminder to our audience: if you want to you know ask John any questions, feel free to send that in, and then uh, we will have that sort of Q and A portion at the end of it. But John, back to you. So, you know, there is this argument that the last two years of home buying were really investors and institutional buying. So there was a really, you know, we saw like what, 20 bids on a house, that kind of situation. But now there's an argument that these are the same people who are going to offload and they're going to, you know, stomach all these losses. So there might be a steeper price correction. It seems like you don't buy this argument. I mean, you just just said, you know, home prices will not fall dramatically. So just to share with us a little bit on any thoughts on this argument and also your your year-end projection of um, home price growth, if you have one. Sure. So I think, you know, look, COVID certainly um, unleashed what we think um, was a significant amount of pent-up demand. And I think one of your earlier points, I mean, we would agree that there's about three to four million units of pent-up demand. And I think what COVID did is sort of, you know, bring this to light for folks and, you know, expedite this, this sort of transition into home ownership. Um, so a lot of the bids that were on houses were actually from natural bidders, from actual real buyers as opposed to investors. But to your point, investors have played a role in it. Now, what's different, I think, today than going back to the financial crisis is that the investors now are much more institutionalized than they were back in the global financial crisis. So let's, let's, let's go back, you know, 14 years ago, you had, uh, you know, waiters and, and, and cab drivers owning three or four homes on mortgages that were poorly underwritten and they probably didn't, you know, qualify for, for, uh, you know, in, in reality. And when rates came up, started moving up, they were forced sellers because in a lot of cases, these loans were, had low teaser rates that quickly reset. Um, and so the, the, the folks that were actually buying to rent were different. Today, these are institutions that are buying the homes much you know, sounder uh, from a balance sheet standpoint and you know, in the business of, of renting. And so I don't know that the rise in rates is going to create a tremendous amount of forced selling, uh, mm-hmm. just given the, diff- the different mix of, um, of buyer. In terms of home price, you know, forecast, we don't have an official one to be to be frank with you, but you know, right now we're seeing sequential declines in in home prices for sure. But on a year-over-year basis, home prices are still up, you know, 12 or 13 percent. Um, so with only a couple months remaining in, in the year, we think that we could probably end somewhere, you know, around up 10 percent year over year. And then the big question is what happens next year and, and are, are we correct that things are not quite as bad as, as, as folks th- as the bears would think or is the bear case of 15 to 20 percent down um is, is that the reality and you know for context and I, and I may have mentioned this before but during the global financial crisis prices were down about 30 percent mm-hmm. so to see prices down 20 percent would be significant and in fact mm-hmm. i think would probably require an exogenous shock to, to the economy Hmm, hmm, hmm. That's interesting. Um, just going back to the builders, you know, you mentioned the interesting dynamics, right? The small, more smaller players and bigger players. But who is 
doing the best? Who is sort of beating the odds here? And um, should are the smaller builders able to weather the situation because they are more localized versus the bigger names like, you know, Toll Brothers and such? Well, everyone's struggling. <laughs> Let's put it that way. But <laughs> larger builders, <laughs> larger builders with size and scale are absolutely faring better. Um, you know, if you, if you think about uh, a DR Horton that's going to deliver, you know, call it between, depending on the year, eighty to ninety thousand units, you know, versus a, a small local builder. Um, in terms of getting labor, you know, it's going to be they're going to be far advantage. DR Horton is going to be far advantaged. They're going to be able to buy commodities in bulk, uh, and they have access to the capital markets, whereas the, the smaller builder just does not. Mm-hmm. So the larger builders are absolutely you know, in a better position, they're taking share every year. And I have a feeling that that's going to uh, accelerate now that um, the, the, there's some financial pressure in, in the market. I would also say that, you know, the builders that are offering what we call quick move or even spec homes in some cases, uh, the, the ones that are, are offering homes that the first time buyer can move into pretty quickly. Uh, these are typically more affordable homes uh, and it allows the customer to, well, first of all, the first time home buyer generally wants to move pretty quickly. So it allows the home builder to compete with the existing stock in, in, in the market. Um, but it also allows the home builder to have very good, the home buyer, I should say, have very good line of sight into what their mortgage is going to be. Uh, so if you, let's say, you, have, you know, if you can move into your home in 30 days, 60 days, whatever the case may be, that gives you a lot more visibility on a rate lock than it would if you had to wait six to nine months, which is, you know, the average time to, to build a home. So I would say if you look at the other side of the coin where there's maybe a little bit more pressure, arguably, is on the builders that have big backlogs. So build to order builders um, that are forced right now, in many cases, to incentivize that backlog to, to not drop out. Um, you know, it's, it, again, it's much more difficult to convince someone to buy a home uh, that's you're not going to be delivered for six to nine months than it would be you know, if you could do it in, in 30 to 60 days. Mm-mm. And people are locked into really low rates. I think that over 80% of people have less than a mortgage rate that's less than 6%. So they're kind of stuck in their home for a while, I guess. But is that sort of a good thing for the repair and remodel market? Because some of those players are saying they're really excited because <laughs> things will break and things will need me to fix. Then you need to renovate that bathroom. You need to renovate that kitchen. So is that sort of bullishness justified, in your opinion? You know, it's it's such an interesting question, right? If you think about it, there's several cross currents, right? I mean, when a home changes hands, that's one of the most, you know, frequent times when, when repair and remodel work happens. Think about it. You buy a home, you want to, you know, make it to, to your, your liking. Um, but and, and you could argue to what you did is that the fact that interest rates are so much higher today than they were even at the beginning of this year, that folks, um, you know, may be reluctant to, to swap out of that three and a half percent mortgage and buy a home with, you know, that has a six percent or seven percent mortgage, um, even if equity has built up in their homes. I mean, it's just that three and a half percent mortgage is such an incredible asset at this point that it's going to make it a little bit challenging. So the, the, the flip side of it is if those folks are not moving out, you know, if they're not going to buy a new, a new or another existing home, what are they going to do with the funds? And, and, and in a lot of cases, we believe that they're going to put that back into renovations in their home. So I think that there's a very good argument to be made um, that 
this dynamic is is good for for R and R. And if you think about it, the average home right now is you know over 40 years old, and so it, it it's in need of, of of a lot of repair. Uh, so yeah, I, w- I would agree that I think it's it's probably a pretty good opportunity here. Right. And that's actually one of uh, our listeners' uh, question, Robert, who asked if it was a better bet to uh, look at Lowe's and Home Depot than builders like Horton, which I think you sort of spoke to. And, you know, it is a very interesting opportunity to look at these companies, I guess. You know, it's it's a great question. I, I would say that, you know, just just level set, we don't cover Home Depot and Lowe's, so I can't speak you know directly to, to, to them but what I can tell you broadly is that you know there's a difference between the home selling market in the repair and remodel market versus the actual stocks so I would agree that I think that the home that the that the um, repair and remodel market will probably will almost certainly be more resilient than the new construction market that being said when you look at the stocks, I believe that there's a tremendous amount of bad news already being factored into the home builder stocks. Mm-hmm. And so I think that, you know, from a stock perspective, we would actually be focused more on, on the home builders. Now, I think you have to have a, a, you know, a tolerance for the risks that's involved. And you also have to be able to, you know, sort of hold your nose here for a little bit because it's going to be bumpy. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you can, if you can sort of hold these for a year, I think, um, I think you're going to be handsomely rewarded. So, uh, Eddie has a question about pivots, which I also have a question. Um, Some of the builders have pivoted to just going straight to the rental market. And Eddie is saying, will they pivot to subsidized housing, which I I think is just speaks to this issue of affordability. Right. So talk to us a little bit about um, how builders are going perhaps to different segments of people like renters uh, versus just to the typical home buyer. You know, is this very common? You know, it's become much more uh, common than it was over you know the past five to ten years for sure. And it is a, it is sort of a, a hot button right now for builders to not only be selling to you know to buyers uh, or retail buyers or you know regular consumers, but also to these institutions that are are going to are going to rent the rent the, the homes. And I think that look, I think it, it, it's it's a, a good opportunity for the builders to have a little bit of diversification for one. Uh, I think that the, as we talked about before, the institutional buyer is a little bit more stable. Um, and, and I think that it sort of just kind of spreads out and allows builders to continue with, with the volume that, that they need to sort of run. The, you know, these are production builders. Um, so I think that the, the, the build for rent market is going to become increasingly important now it's not going to it's not going to you know take over the bills for sale i mean that's what the, the, the that's what these builders are you know what they do but i think it does broaden the the pool of buyers and i think it's a it's a it's a really beneficial uh you know aspect of the business mm-hmm. so i have two questions i'm going to combine from uh stewart and uh, i believe grant stewart is an architect who works for a land planning company he says we are slammed trying to keep up with demand but we are outpaced everyone is feeling this in land development and then grant has a question on there was more of a comment grant's question is are municipalities adequately staffed to handle increased demand so just i know that you know we we've 
talked offline about like zoning and how that's sort of a very challenging thing for builders to navigate. So can you speak a little bit as to why that could be, uh, why that is a bottleneck for builders when they are trying to meet all these targets that they're set? Sure. I mean, I think, um, yeah, it's a, it's a great point. Building is, you know, by definition, a very localized business. Um, and the problem with that is that, you know, there's not a, a, you know, a true national standard for building that, that's applicable to every municipality. Every municipality has its own sort of take on things and their own quirks. And it makes it very challenging to, um, unless you're familiar with those markets, to, to get things, um, you know, properly entitled. Um, now, I think if you go back again towards the global financial crisis, what happened there is that, you know, there was a lot of folks on the municipal zoning side that were, were let go. A lot of folks lost their jobs. And frankly, they weren't rehired uh, coming out of, of the downturn. And so the municipalities are so short staffed right now. Uh, and this became very, very evident um, during during the sort of the boom that we've had in housing around COVID, where they just couldn't keep up. And that was one of the big drivers of the delays, the, the ex extended cycle times that these builders were seeing of, you know, four or five months of the extended cycle times on a, you know, on a, on a build that would normally take six to, you know, six to seven months. I mean, very, very long lead times given the municipal um, delays. And so it's a real, it's a real problem. It's a real problem in, uh, you know, any type of, of, of demand market. I think it will be a little bit less pronounced when things slow a bit. I mean, naturally, there'll, there'll be a little bit more capacity there, but something has to change there as well in our, in our view. And there has to be some sort of technology that can be infused into that part of the business too. And there are, there are companies that are working on this uh, as a side note, but to, to make this process much less manual um, and so, I, you know, I think that there'll be more to come on that, you know, as, as we as we move forward. But um, it's a it's a big problem right now. Right. It's interesting. A couple of I think it was a couple of months ago, there was a professor down in Florida who was saying that um, a public official there was asked, you know, how many homes do you have in your district? And they didn't have an answer, which is pretty interesting, because if you think about it, it's a really time consuming process to knock on each door and figure out who owns the house, who rents the house. That really is a super interesting point. But do you see a lot of builders pivoting to the multifamily side? Do you see a lot of interest from buyers towards multifamily homes? I mean, we live in big cities, so it seems like apartment living is um, what we're used to. But is there any sense of shift happening from a demand perspective? Well, I would tell you from the home builder standpoint, yes, I think that there has been uh, increased interest in, in multifamily, just as there's been increased interest in uh, built for rent. I think it's another way for them to diversify their portfolio, which is helpful in times like like now where, where things moderate. And I, and I think, you know, maybe as a point of reference, single family housing starts are down somewhere around five or six percent right now mm -hmm. on a year to date basis. Uh, multifamily starts, however, are up closer to, to 19 or 20 percent. And so there's been a lot of demand on that side from from a building standpoint. And I think just economically speaking, from a, from a, a home perspective, home buyer standpoint, they'll be able to get, you know, more for their money with in many cases with a condominium or a townhouse or something along those lines. And if we are in this, if we remain in this you know, affordability stretched 
uh, environment, I think you're going to see more of a, of a rotation into, into this type of, of, of uh, housing until, until we can see some settling in, in, in rates. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And uh, combining two questions from ASIN, sorry if I'm you know, not pronouncing your name right, and Vijay, um, will the interest rate hikes have an impact on builders and you know, how they price these homes? You know, the Fed is expected to hike again. So will that push multifamily starts? Multifamily starts refers, to, I guess, just an explainer, like people starting to build a home, not completing a home, right? So will that depress them uh their sort of building activity further yeah 100 percent. i mean i think that if if rates continue to rise it's going to stymie demand even further it's going to it's going to also put a you know put pressure on the overall economy which uh is is, is not good for for home buying and so i think from a, a home builder standpoint what you're going to have to see is newer communities that are opened are going to be opened at lower price points than they normally would have been. Um, in existing communities, we talked about this before, but there'll be a number of different levers that the builder can pull in terms of rate locks, buy-downs, mm-hmm. uh, upgrades, and things of that nature. But there will have to be more incentivization to, to move the homes. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think if, if, if the Fed keeps raising rates, which they will, um, but more importantly, the long end of the curve, if the long end of the curve continues to go up, um, it's going to have to be met with with incentivization. Right. A couple more questions before you know we, we wrap up this. Um, Andrew asks, what effect does Dodd-Frank have? And I will sort of add to that question, rephrase it to say, have people become more sensitive to mortgage rate changes since 2008? Um, what do you feel like, you know, 2008, pre-2008 versus now? Because rates were pretty high. Like they were like, really high levels in the 80s so you know i'm wondering if you sort of see more sensitivity today versus back then and if so you know what is driving that sensitivity that's another really interesting question um you know maybe touching on your comment on the, in the 80s um so if you go to the late 70s and the early 80s you're absolutely right i mean mortgage rates and inflation were surging uh interestingly home prices did nothing but go up during that period which you know, which leads us to believe that it's not a foregone conclusion that if rates go up and and inflation goes up, that home prices have to fall because they they, they didn't. Um, so are people more sensitive today than they were in two thousand? You know, heading into the global financial crisis. I mean, I think that there's it's a little bit of a tricky question because I think that there was a lot of lax lending standards that kind of distort the period heading into the global financial crisis. But if we step back maybe even a little bit further, I would say, yes, people are more sensitive today because I think in, in part, they're much more aware. Um, if you, you know, a couple, couple reasons, you know, the internet is obviously much more prevalent today. So people have a, a very easy source of, of, of obtaining what the current interest rates are. But I'd also say that, you know, you can't open a, a newspaper at this point or, or turn on a TV station without hearing something negative about about the, the home building industry right now and, and where rates are. And so I think that there is a, 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 almost a hypersensitivity at this current moment, uh, you know, to, to interest rates. Mm-hmm. And um, I guess my last question, Bill, for, through Bill, is how do you value the home builders at this point in the cycle? Do you feel like all this negative talk has been priced in? 
it is the most important question, right? What is going to happen with the stocks? And um, look, right now they're trading at you know a fraction of book value. They're trading at about five times earnings. Um, and you know what that tells us is that people believe that there are going to be very meaningful impairments to the land value or, or, or the book value, which is essentially land of the home builders. Now, we uh, you know we talked about pricing and how, and how we don't think that's going to crack. And so there would have to be 20 to 25% price declines uh, across the market to see significant impairments like we did during the financial crisis. And I just don't see that as happening. Um, also, what's really important is that when homebuilder stocks have traded below book value, which they're doing right now, they've significantly outperformed the broader market over the next 12 months. The group average return dating back to 2000 has been 38%, and they've outperformed the S&P 70% of the time when they've been trading below book value. So it's generally a pretty good bet to um, to look at these stocks when they're trading below book value if you have the, the wherewithal to, to hold the stocks for you know 12 months. And full disclosure, you don't own the stocks that we're speaking about, right? That's correct. Yeah, and neither do I. Um, but that is all the time we have for today. Thank you, Bill, for that last question. Uh, and thank you, John, for being here. I, we can continue talking for, I think it seems like an hour, just so much to ask <laughs> you about. Um, but thank you so much for joining us. And listeners, we hope that you join us tomorrow where Barron Senior Managing Editor Lauren R. Roblin and healthcare industry reporter John Nathan Katzis We'll discuss the outlook for healthcare stocks and the latest news on COVID-19 treatments and vaccines. Really important, seeing a surge in COVID cases, at least in my son's daycare, which is kind of concerning. But uh, thank you, everyone. Thank you and City Safe and have a good day. Take care. The energy transition is a long and winding road, and it needs to be taken step by step. Learn more at SiemensEnergy.com.